0: This episode of Zero to Travels brought to you by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder with seven drive modes. The Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys. Learn more at nissanusa.com. The one
1: thing that unites all the best interpersonal experiences that I've, I've had goes back to what we were talking about earlier about putting away whatever semblance of authority that I have or preconceived notions or what I think I know about a place and just going into it with like this, with an openness and an eagerness to learn and a curiosity about the
0: world. That was a clip from my interview today with Sebastian Modak. We had a wonderful conversation. He was the 2019 52 Places Traveler for The New York Times. So he was reporting from 52 places around the world during that whole year. And you're going to hear plenty of awesome travel stories and highlights from that adventure. Also, we talk about his experience growing up as a third culture kid and how different cultures can shape your childhood and how you carry that with you in your life. Some advice for battling loneliness on the road. Why walking a place when you first arrive is such a great habit to develop. A powerful tip for using social media without letting it interfere with your travels. How to better connect with locals. Why your mindsets, your travel mindset is so critical and how your inner world changes your outer world experiences. We talk about how music enhances travel with some fun <laughs> examples. And of course, you'll hear about some new destinations, I'm sure, along the way. Just... So much packed into today's interview. You are absolutely going to love it. And we'll also be giving a shout out to somebody in the Zero to Travel listening community. An update on my battle with nature. Okay, that's a little dramatic, but you'll hear what that's all about in this show. And so much more. It's all happening right now. So buckle up, strap in. Thanks for being here and welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friends. Welcome to the show, my friend. Thanks for hanging out, letting me bring a little bit of travel into your ears today. This is the show to help you travel the world on your terms, to fill your life with as much travel as you desire, no matter what your situation or experience. The sun is shining, the birds are singing, and I am feeling pretty darn good. How are you doing today? Wherever you're at listening to this, welcome. I make this show for you. This is a community-powered show, always has been always will be and i got a message from somebody in the community i love getting these voice messages from you all so if you ever want to get in touch send me a note jason at zero to travel or you can always uh, leave a message i have a link in the show notes where you can easily leave a voicemail just by clicking a button and that's what bonnie did and i want to share her voicemail with you right now this one really put a smile on my face <laughs> Hi, Jason. I just wanted to say hi. I'm at Sunrise Point overlooking beautiful Bryce Canyon on a beautiful blue sky Tuesday morning, which is the way to spend a Tuesday hiking through Bryce Canyon. You had the perfect podcast about national parks, so thank you for that. I'm also having a house sit uh, with a cute little dog and a couple... Days. And so I get to spend more time in Utah visiting more of the parks and do more of the hiking. And so I thank you for all of your advice all through the years. Thank you. Oh, thank you, Bonnie. And do yourself a favor just Google Sunrise Point Bryce Canyon if you've never been there. I have been there and wow. Wow. And she brought me there with that message. So thank you. I love getting these voicemails. And I love sharing them with you all. You know, we get to take a little trip together in some ways through the audio. So if you do have a moment, please get in touch. Leave me a voicemail. Uh, I have a link in the show notes where you can do that just by clicking a simple button. Would absolutely love to hear from you. Thanks again, Bonnie, for brightening my day and taking me on a little excursion to Bryce Canyon. Now, this interview today, I know you're going to love it. We cover so much and Sebastian has a lot of stories and perspectives from his time, not just doing the 52 places trip for the New York Times, traveling around the world for a year and writing about it, but also through his experiences growing up in countries around the world and stick around after the interview, (laughs) a couple personal updates. I'll share another community shout out, a personal update on this little battle with nature. (laughs) i'm having here in norway kind of funny and on the back end of that i started writing down quotes that my kids and my wife say and if you want to have a good laugh at me i'll share one with you that my wife said to me just today so you can get a good chuckle at my expense if you stick around for that and of course i'll leave you with a thoughtful quote before i let you go and get about your day Now let's slip and slide into today's interview segment and I will see you on the other side, my friend. My guest today is Sebastian Modek, an award-winning Freelance travel writer and multimedia journalist, a profession that has taken him all over the world. His work has appeared in Condé Nast Traveler, Washington Post, Wall Street Journal, Afar, to name a few. And you might recognize him as the New York Times 52 Places Traveler from 2019, where he reported from a different destination each week for an entire year. And those articles are still helping to keep my wanderlust going. So thank you very much for that. And you can check out his work at Sebastian Modak. That's M-O-D-A-K dot com. I'm going to keep this intro short because... Uh, I have a lot of questions and I'm dying to dive in. So, Sebastian, welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friend.
1: Thank you. It's, uh, <laughs> I'm glad to be here. Excited to chat. Yeah,
0: I appreciate it. I, I know I, I I tried you on email and then Twitter and I like, was like, finally got it arranged. I was like, yes, we got him. That's great. Because you have such an interesting uh, background. And you've done so much traveling. And uh, I kind of wanted to start with uh, the about page on your website where you say, where. Where are you from when people ask you that? It's a complicated question for you to answer, and I was wondering if you could just explain why. <laughs>
1: yeah, um, it is, and it's still, it, I think it always will be. So my, my mother is from Colombia, and my father's from India. Um, I was born in the U.S., but we left when I was about two years old. And then my brothers and I were raised, you know, moving every four or five years. So when I was two years old, we moved to Hong Kong, and I was there for three years, and then Australia for two years india for five years and then indonesia for five years i went to high school in in jakarta indonesia um then came back to the states for college moved to botswana for a little while back to the states traveled all over the world for a year with the time so very much just like constantly moving very few routes um not a lot of uh Um, national allegiance to anywhere, whether we're talking about the US or Colombia or India or all these places I called home. Um, So that's the long answer of why, where are you from is a complicated question.
0: You mentioned few roots. I mean, the term I'm familiar with is third culture kid, I guess, would you call yourself third culture kid, right? Which is you're basically, I don't know if that necessarily means you don't, identify with a particular culture, but it sounds like for you that that might be the case. I'm just wondering uh, how how this blend of cultures shaped you growing up and, and how does it still influence or impact you right now in your life?
1: Yeah, no, I mean, it's a great question. It's tough to say because as a kid, it's all you know, right? So I had nothing to compare it to. Um, I had no way of saying like, this is making me this way because such and such, because I, it was just, it just was right. It was, it was my reality. Looking back now, um, I think there's a lot of, I'm so grateful for the upbringing I had and so grateful for like the curiosity for the rest of the world and the knowledge that my parents imparted on me. They always put a, a kind of a big premium on, on why travel is so important and why cultural respect is so important because I was kind of always told that I was a guest wherever I was living, right? And so it was important to be grateful as a guest and be gracious and empathetic and all those things. So I'm really grateful for that. Um, the flip side is, I mean, I do, I think, I think it first hit me when I was in college um, and, you know, like Thanksgiving would roll around, for example, and everybody would be like, cool, going home for Thanksgiving, um, and I'd just be like at, in the dorms, like, uh, so where should I go? <laughs> Cause my parents now live in, you know, then I, I think they were in back in Hong Kong. Now they live in Dubai. Um, so it's just like, that's like kind of when it really hit me that it was like, Oh, I don't, I had not like, I don't really have a, even if I was to fly somewhere across the world, I wouldn't be flying home. Like there just, there isn't a place that I call home. There isn't a place that I know well enough that I feel connected to enough to call home. Um, so that's, that's the flip side of it. I mean, I, I, again, I wouldn't trade it for anything. I feel so grateful. I know how privileged I am to have had the upbringing that I've had. Um, but there's something you know, it, it is funny. Cause you say like third culture K, which is a term I'm familiar with too. I've written about it in the past and I, you know, it is an easy kind of shorthand for people who grew up the way I did. Um, and it's true that like you, you are without roots, but what you're with is also super interesting as well. Cause like I can meet someone at a bar who says that they grew up in four different countries and they can all be different places than I lived, right? But because they lived in this admittedly very privileged kind of international school community, there's there's like a kinship there immediately. It's almost like we grew up together, even though they might've lived in Cairo and I lived in Jakarta. But there's like this understanding that we had similarly uprooted kind of multinational existences where our friends were from all over the world and our teachers were from all over the world and we were guests in a country that wasn't our own. Um, And so it's nice to kind of feel like you, I do find belonging in that kind of nomadic tribe, for lack of a better word, of of people spread all over the world, you know.
0: Yeah, you had this shared experience, I guess, essentially, even though it was, like you said, if if it was in different countries, you still kind of get what that life is. really a lifestyle, right? I mean, you're moving around with your family, you're going to different countries all the time growing up in that way is not a yeah it is a different way of growing up but I guess like you said to your point you don't really know you don't know what you don't know when you're a kid
1: right exactly yeah (laughs) it's it's like this just is you know one day I'd come home for dinner and my parents would be like so you know dad got a new job we're moving to Jakarta in a few months at the end of your school year and I'd be like okay better start saying goodbye to my friends in Delhi and then I'd move and I'd make new friends you know so it just became very much part of part of the routine.
0: Yeah. But that, that part I would imagine could have been pretty tough, you know, at times because like, so you step into a new country and now it's like, like how close do you want to be? How much do you really want to make, like how much effort do you want to put in to make really close friends? I mean, I don't know. I didn't grow up this way. So it's, it's fascinating to me because I, I wonder how it would be, you know, if, if like over time did that for you, did that become the case where you're just like, Hey, I don't want to like, try as much in this way because we're just going to leave this place kind of like, uh, whatever, or did you kind of just like fully embrace each place? And
1: yeah, see, that's, that's, what's interesting. I think I can only speak for myself, right? And I'm sure there's people who did have a lot of trouble socially because of that and never wanted to get connected, um, and I've talked to like, you know, child psychologists for stories that I've written about people who have grown up moving around. And a lot of them say that this is an issue that a lot of people have who come out of that life, like come out of that upbringing, have attachment issues or things like that where they just like don't want to get too attached to people because they're so used to saying goodbye. For me, I think I was kind of the opposite. I like went in head first and I was like, I've only, I like, I know I've only got like three, four years here. We're going to be best, best, best friends, you know? Um, and some of those people I'm still in touch with, I haven't seen them since I was like, or haven't like lived in the same place as them since I was eight or nine. But when we do see each other every four years or so, or five years, we run into each other somewhere. It's like, we pick up where we left off, you know? Um, and I think it's because, because we're people who had, had that similar upbringing, I guess. I don't know. Um, again, like I'm speaking from a very as much as I've seen, you know, of of the world and growing up around the world and and what that did to me in terms of opening my eyes to a lot of things, I still, I can only speak to my own experience, right? So it is still a limited view. Um, but that's, that's my experience.
0: No, but I appreciate it because I know there are people listening. There's certain people that might want to raise their kids in that way, for example, or, you know, hello right here. I got two kids. So (laughs) I'm always curious about this, this topic. It's interesting because thinking about your work, uh, I'm making a strong connection to like that's kind of your style of travel. I feel right. You're really, you're going to dive in and just embrace it and be grateful for the time you have there and soak it all in as much as you can. And I feel like that attitude seems to translate to the work that you do. Is that my wrong?
1: No, I mean I think I, I, I'm grateful that you see that because I, 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 you know, I think that's very true. Um, I think the fact that I never really had a place. Like if you're from somewhere, right? If you say like this place is home, then it's you know, it's the famous saying, you know it like the back of your hand, right? Like you know it so well, it's in your blood. I don't have that about anywhere. So I think that transfers over to the way I travel too, where I I just automatically come in like ready to learn, ready to soak everything in and I know that can be said about a lot of travelers, but I think it's a lot easier or it's it is easy for me to just kind of admit to and embrace my own ignorance about the rest of the world. When I go so anywhere, including New York city where I've lived for, you know, longer than anywhere else in the world. And I think that's now approaching six years, which is the longest I've lived anywhere. Um, even there, I like, I'm, I'm no, I'm not an expert. I'm never going to be an expert. And I think that affects my writing too, because I'm not, I'm not coming in with any assumptions. I'm not coming in with any preconceptions. I'm literally just like there to ask the stupid questions and try to learn as much as possible. Um, At least that's how I see it because in my opinion, sometimes travel writing, I think it's a lot better than it used to be, but especially back in the day, it was this idea of like, A travel writer is like suddenly going to become the authority on the place, right? And they're going to come in and they're going to tell you everything, what to do there, even if they're not from there, even if they're, you know, it's just like this assumed authority that you're writing. I, I don't believe in that. There's no way that I know more about what it's like to be in Uzbekistan than like the Uzbek guy who I'm, you know, sharing lunch with. So why am I here telling you what to do when I'm there? Just like, instead, I'm going to learn, I'm going to be the like, Stand-in student for my reader. I'm going to learn along the way um, from the people who actually know what they're talking about, not me. Um, and I think some of that comes from how I grew up, where I just didn't think that I was the authority on anywhere that I lived either.
0: It's such a great attitude to have, I think, and it, it's it's kind of that beginner's mind philosophy, right? I mean, that's that's a beautiful philosophy to embrace with anything. I think you know, it, it's. If you start seeing yourself as an expert at something, it it's your it's probably going in the wrong direction, I feel. <laughs> you know?
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I I I think so too. And I think I mean, especially with something, and that's like a whole other thing, especially with something like that's is so subjective, like as subjective as like travel, right? Like I'm not gonna tell you that this is the way to do things and this is like the experience to have and all these things, because it, so much of it comes down to the individual, right? And the individual style of travel, their comfort with risk, their, their comfort with, you know, their, their where they stand on the spectrum of extroverted and introverted, like all these things. Um, so even when it comes down to like, I, I, it drives me crazy when I hear people make blanket statements about a place being safe, for example, safe or unsafe. Um, they're like, you can't, you can't go there. It's unsafe for travelers. To who? Because when I, you know, someone tells me like, oh, like, you know, I don't know about like traveling to Tunisia. It's it's unsafe. There have been, there have been big, big, uh, incidents there and all these things. When I went to Tunisia, everyone thought I was Tunisian. I like, I blended right in and people were like, Tunisians were asking me for directions. (laughs) Um, I did not feel unsafe anywhere. I felt like a local, even though I'm, I'm not Tunisian. I am not have no, it was my first time in Tunisia, but then, you know, the, the, the places where I've felt most unsafe in all my travels were in Nacogdoches, Texas and uh, New South Wales, Australia, both places where I was accosted by like racist teenagers. So you, you can't tell me that like such and such place just is safe or is unsafe because so much of it clearly goes down to who you are, your identity, how you interact with the place. There are many people who could spend the rest of their days in Nacogdoches, Texas, and nothing would happen. I spent literally four hours in Nacogdoches, Texas, and I got yelled at. So it's very hard to. It, it's it's not very hard. It's dishonest to to be an authority on something because either you're you have a conflated sense of self importance, or you. Are assuming something about your reader. So that, that isn't, that isn't necessarily true. Namely in the, in the greater scheme of things in the history of travel writing, that assumption is that your reader is a white person who's traveling. So I think all that's to say, I think the way I was brought up, which I'm very grateful for has helped me a little bit in just like stripping away some of the assumptions and some of the preconceptions that I often see in travel and like the stories that we tell around travel. Now I'll step off my soapbox and let
0: you speak. (laughs) I I just love your approach because it's important to have that type of perspective and those voices presenting places and you're doing it on a, you know, a very high level and all the major publications. And I mean, obviously you've done a lot in in your career already. And I, I think taking the authority piece out of it, I mean, we can call it a label, right? Labeling a place safe or unsafe, but as a writer, you have to, you have to put the place into words, right? And and in that way, is that one of the big challenges trying to come up with the the words that don't end up being a, a, like a generic label or end up being a sweeping generalization that that kind of explains the nuance of the place? You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. No. I it, it, it's a hard question, and I, I think it's. Uh... It's like an age-old question, too, when it comes to these kinds of stories. So I, I had an editor for a while, and or made nameless, I won't even name the publication, who um, told me, or not didn't even tell me, I just know, knew that their approach to travel writing was that they wanted to see less of the first person. They wanted to take the I and the me and all these things out of travel writing. Honestly, I think I pretty strongly disagree with that because if someone is going to be telling me their experience on the road I want to know who they are I want to know how they experienced it because just just to say like if it is a a woman who's telling the story and this was their experience if it was a, if it's a white man if it's someone in the LGBT community I just I just want to know you know people have different experiences based on their identities based on how they present based on so many things about them that like It's not a mon like travel. Travel storytelling is never going to be monolithic. So I do think it's important to be transparent about that. And so to answer your question, that's kind of what I have tried to do as much as possible, at least when I'm allowed. Of course, as a travel writing travel writer trying to make ends meet, occasionally I have to do the like, you know, 10 best beaches in such and such place article and just report and research the hell out of it and talk to people who know better than I do and, and, and write that story. But the stories that I like to tell, the ones that that keep me going um, are the ones where, yeah, I can put myself out there. I can say, Hey, this was my experience, but you might want to reconsider this or this. If you are, you know, I'm like, I'm a six foot two straight man. Like you might have a different experience in such and such a place or be aware of such and such cultural sensitivities that I didn't have to be aware of. So to answer your question, I do think it's, I do think it's important to put that front and center because as a reader, I want to know who's telling me about their experience. Um, and as a writer, I want people to know that I, again, don't have the last word on this. This was my experience. And then you can hopefully extrapolate some information out of that. Um, whether it's information about a place that you want to actually act on and, you want tips on where to eat in Tunis and you're going to use my article as a way to do that. Or if it's something bigger, if it's something just about human nature and, you know, universal truths that you want to get out of my story, which I hope you will as well. Um, I, in either case, I do think it's important to know who's telling you this story.
0: I mean, there are certain friends, for example, that you're, if they tell you to go eat at a place, you're going to be like, oh, yeah, let's make the reservation tomorrow. And other friends are going to be like... <laughs> Dude, like I'm n- I'm never going to a place that you recommend ever. <laughs> <laughs> right. You <know>? I mean, <laughs> yeah,
1: and that's absolutely part of it as well. Um it's it's I mean, the 52 places trip for example with the, with the times was so personal um especially because of the nature of it where I was only spending a week max in each place. Uh I had to be very personal about it because there was no way I was ever going to be exhaustive about a place after spending five days in it. Um, you know, I had six days to explore all of Western Norway, for example. Like, I'm, that's not going to happen. So, I had to be very transparent of like this was my experience and this is what I saw. And over time, people, readers, got to know me. Readers who were following me on social media and, and reading the articles. Um, and it's like you said, I, I became that friend. And maybe they read me. I'm sure there are many people who are being like, this is not my kind of travel. I'm going to keep reading this maybe out of just, you know, entertainment value, but this is not my kind of traveler. But hopefully there are some people who like started feeling like I was that friend you're talking about who gives a recommendation or talks about an experience and it makes them want to be like, I want to do that too. Whether it's I want to do that exact same thing or just I want to go on an adventure because I've been inspired by someone I, you know, can relate to.
0: Western Norway hideous country there. Oh, just hideous. Terrible. terrible.
1: Absolutely. Just wasteland, barren wasteland, no <laughs> nothing to look at. Definitely no waterfalls that look like you've died and gone to heaven. Um, terrible, terrible. Would not recommend a road trip. Just uh just skip 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 all of Western Norway for sure.
0: <laughs> uh you mentioned the 52 uh, weeks Assignment and I mean, called an assignment a year long. Did you ever go home, or was it just an uh, an entire year on the road?
1: It was essentially an entire year on the road. I went back to New York twice. Once was because New York was one of the places on the list, Um, so I had to report, spend a week in New York, and report on that as part of the fifty-two places list. And then the other time was because I did manage to like squeeze in about a week off because I was coming from. I think I was coming from Scotland. Wow. It's all starting to blur. I need to go back and read, but I was coming from Scotland and I had to go to Brazil. So I had to fly through New York anyway. And so I tacked on a, a, about a week then, but for the most part, yeah, I was, I left January, like mid January at some point and got back just before Christmas. So for the most part, I was on the road the entire time. Um, so it wasn't exactly the full 52 weeks cause we truncated some of them and, you know, but but for, for basically a yeah. year, I was on the road.
0: I mean, I want to get into some destination questions and things like that, but I wanted you to just speak to the overall experience of that year of your life and how that impacted you or, or changed you or, or just, yeah, affected you.
1: I mean, I f- I feel like it's going to be the kind of experience that defines me for the rest of my life. I mean, I think it, it was a, literally a once in a lifetime experience. I may, I mean, I I will continue to travel, obviously, and I probably will have some intense, adventurous trips, but I don't think anything will be like that, where I'm just traveling at such a rapid pace, but at the same time, because I'm writing 2000 words a week and taking photos and doing social media, that I'm looking for deeper stories in each of these places. And I think that's the big difference between if I had just been, you know, if I had just won the lottery and taking a 52 week vacation to 52 places versus having a job to do it for the New York times and having to like really find stories that are going to resonate with a global readership. I think that's the thing that really does make it once in a lifetime because I was working, I had to work Um, whether I liked it or not. There were times where I just wanted to sit back in whatever hotel room I was in and watch TV and order room service and just sleep for days. But I couldn't because I had to, find get the next story. So in that sense yeah it really changed changed me a lot in that sense. Um and and the solo aspect of it. I mean there were a few places where I met met up with like my my partner, she met me in three of the stops um in Brazil, the Azores and Senegal. Um my brother met me in The Gambia and my parents met me in India, but besides that I was alone for the whole year. So that that was also and i'm a fairly extroverted person so i think it changed me in that sense too where i became a lot more comfortable um in my own head um in making new friends instead of relying on just the old ones uh because i had made so many connections you know i still get whatsapps from people i met in siberia and panama and um denmark you know just friends kind of checking in And that's such a good feeling to know that I went out there and I put myself out there and I made these connections um, that I'll have for the rest of my life. And like, yeah, maybe I will go back to Takamatsu, Japan and like pull up a chair at that bar where I met that bartender who now like emails me music recommendations like every two weeks. Um, And maybe I will go back and we'll talk about music some more and, and and we'll hang out. And I don't know. I think that's. Just really incredible, I mean I, I've, obviously I've done some solo travel before this, especially as a travel reporter, but just the, the sheer breadth of it and the extent of it um, it, it was completely life changing in terms of just seeing seeing so much in such a truncated amount of time and, and meeting so many incredible people and crea- creating so many human connections in such a short amount of time uh, was really really eye opening
0: for sure This episode is brought to you by u s bank. Recently I went out for tacos and it wasn't even Friday. Yes, we have Taco Friday just for your favorite streaming services. Go to usbank.com slash altitude. Go to learn more about how you can earn 20,000 bonus points worth $200 if you spend $1,000 in the first 90 days of opening your account. Win big! destinations on earth we're excited to partner with nissan because our listeners know we love to celebrate the joy of exploring the world and finding the best off the beaten path destinations to visit and there's no better vehicle for that than the 2024 nissan pathfinder with seven drive modes the pathfinder's available intelligent four x four is built for even the most epic journeys and it even has the best towing capacity in its class up to six thousand pounds and enjoy the ride along the way. Learn more at nissanusa.com. Solo travels, uh, something I recommend to everybody. You know, it's it's such a life-changing thing. And, and so empowering, I feel, because you, you never feel like you have to wait around for somebody to have an adventure ever again in your life, right? You're just like, you know, you can go do that. It's I, just there, absolutely. you know?
1: I agree. And it's not always easy. I mean, I, I think it's sometimes it's, it's put this, you know, there's, there is the whole conversation around solo travel. It's like, like how many people have told the story of like, I, I quit my job and spent the rest of my life traveling the world and you can do it too. And it's like, no, it's not always that easy. It's like, it's hard to do that. Very hard. And you have to be very lucky to be in that position to do it. And emotionally it can be hard too. I mean, I, I talk about all the good stuff and stuff, but I was, I was exhausted. I was run down. Um, I was and there and I was lonely uh many times. I felt it many times. I mean, I I've, I was definitely like um there were times where I was again like places like western Norway where I was like, you know, it's very glad I'm alone here cuz just the nature was so astounding that like I could just take my time and hang out. But then there were other times where I really felt it and I really wanted to be with somebody with someone I love or a friend or something. So it's definitely hard, but I think the rewards of it are amazing. And I think we are incredibly adaptable creatures and incredibly resilient creatures. And we discover that when we like really step out of our comfort zones, like with solo travel, for example.
0: What is your advice for somebody who has that fear of getting alone? I mean, I always say you're you're definitely gonna get lonely if you solo travel long enough. It's going to happen. So what would your what would be your advice for that situation when that does happen?
1: Yeah, I mean, for me it was honestly, as soon as I came to terms with it as an emotion that was kind of inevitable every now and then, it became a lot easier. When I like tried to fight it, which usually just took the form, I think, of like feeling sorry for myself, um that's when it hit the hardest. I think it's when, when I started realizing like, Oh, I can feel it coming. Yep. That's, that's loneliness. I can feel it coming like really seeing it. And then just being like, cool, that's an emotion like any other. And if I feel this right now, and if I lean into it and just feel it and like sit outside and have a coffee or a beer and watch some, watch the world go by for a little bit. um, The moments when I'm not lonely, whether that's because I'm feeling peace with salt, with solitude or I've made a bunch of new friends and I'm parting in the woods of Georgia, you know, um, those moments are going to hit even harder. They're going to feel even more jubilant and, and I'm going to be even happier because I felt the flip side of it. Um, so I think it's just like acknowledging it as a, as an emotion and like leaning into it and being like, cool, this is this is part of being human. This feeling kind of sucks right now, but it's going to feel a little better in a little bit. Um, and again, that's from my experience. I know a lot of people handle emotions in different ways. Um, but that's, that's how I was able to kind of get through them. And like, pull myself together when I was like, crying in my rental car on the side of the road in the middle of Wyoming somewhere, you know. Um, so that's kind of how I learned to to get to get through it.
0: Was that from loneliness or just fatigue? Just uh, like that moment in particular?
1: It was probably a mix of things, but it was definitely some loneliness. There's this, it was too, too much. There's a song, there's a song by John Prine called Summer's End. Do you know it?
0: Oh yeah. Oh yes.
1: Yeah. It's like one of the greatest songs ever. Yeah, um, but wonderful. it, it, I was driving in Wyoming, which is, you know, one of these straight roads that goes on forever. It was like the middle of February. There was snow on either side of the road and that song came on in the car um, and the chorus is literally like, "Come on home, come on home. You don't have to be alone." Um, and it was just, poof, that was game over. Time to pull over. And I just, I just got hit, got hit hard. But you know, I let it. I, I felt it. I let it hit. Um, there's, and in that time, the entire time of the whole song, not a single other car came by. I was really that alone. Um, and then just got back on the highway and kept driving. And I, you know, it's just felt human in that moment, right?
0: The power of music, man. I actually just listened to a song today. I So I have this playlist on Spotify that I just keep throwing awesome songs in. I call it kick-ass songs. There's a song, When You're My Age, that I heard. And the first time I heard it, it's by Laurie McKenna. It's about, you know, my kids are young and stuff. It's about raising kids and everything. It was just, the flood was on. It, it just, it immediately, it was unbelievable. And since then, I hadn't listened to the full song. I just keep skipping it on the playlist whenever I listen to it. And then I was giving my son a bath earlier, and I listened to it again. <laughs> I was like, man, all right. So some of these songs, you just can't. They just, they're a gut punch, you know? But it's
1: still, uh, that's what makes it a kick-ass song, right? So there you go. <laughs> right.
0: It is, yeah, if it can make you cry. I was fortunate to see... John John Prine's second to last show, which was in Oslo, actually uh, he played Sweden after I think uh, we were supposed to go, and then the first round got canceled because he had a health issue, and then yeah, we saw a second to last show, and that was I feel very fortunate. Yeah, it's amazing. I I never
1: got to see him, but yeah, he's uh, that was actually that's kind of one of my go to travel music. Artists just feels mm. feels good most of the time. Sometimes it feels really bad, <laughs> um, but that that's part of feeling good too. You know, like I said, it's you got to feel the two sides of the coin, right?
0: Yeah, I, I think what you said about essentially accepting the emotion and then sitting with it, which that's a tough thing to do in this day and age. I feel because man, it is so easy to just. Not sit with it <laughs> you got this little thing in your pocket right you 've got uh you know you're out experiencing all these things if you 're traveling you can just kind of go do something and try to forget it it's not an easy thing to do. What is your relationship with technology when you're traveling and and, and sitting with sitting with experiences versus yeah. yeah
1: no i mean it's that's a great question i think I mean this thing is like. And I'm pointing, it's a podcast, so you can't see what I'm doing. I'm (laughs) waving my phone. This phone is a, um, you know, maybe it's cliche at this point, but it is true that, I mean, it opens up the world so much. It's incredible what the way you can travel with a phone now where you can keep your phone in your pocket and just walk aimlessly in a city you've never been to before. And eventually two hours later, you can find your way back to your hotel by just putting it into Google Maps and like, retrace your way back without having to know even where the hell you you are um but it's amazing i mean you you wouldn't you just wouldn't have done that in the past really as much you would have been so aware of like where you were going and you'd have a destination in mind or at least a route in mind so you could find your way back now you don't even need breadcrumbs you can just go and you'll find your way home eventually so i do think that's amazing and i I use that a lot but it is a hundred percent true that it is a serious crutch Um, especially when you're traveling solo. Um, And for me, it was particularly, because you think about it, you post up at a bar in a strange town, your first reaction is going to be to reach to your phone and start looking at Instagram or, or whatever reading the news or whatever what have you
0: there's always Um, an excuse and you could be like i'm going to research the next place i'm gonna go or whatever you can and it's and
1: it's so easy and it's fun and it's entertaining and the time passes and before you know it, you finish that beer you look up you put the coins down and you move on to the next place have you been there that's that's the question so for me and, and especially for me so i was like i said i was when, I, when I'm traveling, I'm usually on assignment. Even if I'm not directly on assignment, I'm, like, thinking of possible stories. Um, so I am, like, taking notes. I'm photographing things. I'm videoing things. The phone makes all of that so easy. Um, I'm, I'm, I, have, I have, you know, a decent following on social media, so I'm, I'm doing that as well because I enjoy it and I enjoy sharing with the people who follow me on social media. Um, so all that stuff, I, it is very much integral to my travel. I think what I've learned over time is that I, if I'm going to force my, if I'm going to be mindful about where I am and I'm going to um, put the technology down, I have to be very intentional about it. Um, I'm just, I, I will use it as a crutch if I don't think about it. So I have to think about the opposite and be like, "Cool, I'm going to do what I just said. I'm going to put the phone in my pocket and I'm going to go for an hour long walk and I'm not going to look at it." I'm not even going to take a photo. I'm not even going to, you know, write down the name of a restaurant I want to return to. I'm just going to go for a walk. Um, and like, that's, that was one of the, the habits I got into on my 52 places trip where that was usually one of the first things I'd do in a place was I'd drop off my bags in the hotel room. Um, and I would just walk out the door, my hotel room and just start walking. Um, and then I wouldn't stop walking for an, for an hour, maybe two hours um, just taking in the sights around me, getting my bearings, um, getting a feel for the place without having to read anything about it or look at my phone at all. Um, and the reason I did that was because I still remember it very well. I, I was in, it was one of the early stops on 52 places. It was Doha in Qatar. And I, I'd been to Doha before. Um, but you know, this time I was there to write a story and I went to the souk, like the market, and I went through the market, which is really cool. That's you know, one of these labyrinth, labyrinthine markets that you can spend hours kind of getting lost in. Um, and I was walking around and I was taking photos of everything, you know, thinking like this might be a good shot for this Times piece that I'm working on, you know, tons of photos, tons of videos. I get to the end of the market. I get out back onto the street and I stopped and I was like thinking back and I was like, I don't remember anything of what I just saw. I couldn't tell you a single thing that I saw, like a single scene. I couldn't paint you a tableau of a single thing that I saw. I was just fully on record mode, social media mode. This makes a good photograph. You know, I couldn't, if I was, if you were like, write a paragraph about the experience you just had, it'd be blank. I'd have nothing. I didn't know what it smelled like. I didn't know what it sounded like. So I was like, this is bad. And like, this is, it was also a moment where I was like, Okay, I have this incredible job, this once-in-a-lifetime professional opportunity, but it's also just a once in a lifetime opportunity. And I need to like soak this in as well as as write good stories. So that that that's when I got into the habit of occasionally, very intentionally being like leaving the camera in the hotel room, putting my phone in the pocket my pocket, and I'm just gonna be for a while. And sometimes most of the time that would take take um, the form of, of more walks around the city or whatever, whatever place I was in. Sometimes it would just take the form of posting up at a bar or a coffee shop and not looking at my phone, just looking out onto the street. And most of the time, inevitably within a few minutes I'd be talking to somebody. And next thing I know I'm being invited to someone's house for dinner. And you know, you know how it is. Um, all those things would, all those things would never have happened if I had been looking at my phone. No one's going to approach me and say like, where are you from? What are you doing here? If I'm sitting there sipping my beer, staring into this void in my hand. right? So All that's to say it's, it's, it's a great tool. You know, I, I, I used Google translate across the world in many places and it helped tremendously, you know, converting currencies on the fly, um, you know, getting flight changes, tickets on the, like amazing. It's amazing what it can do to open up the world. But I do think if you're anything like me, at least you have to be very intentional about putting it away. If you're going to be mindful about where you are. And I had to do that.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think it's really important, especially nowadays with remote work being accelerated. And now when travel opens up, more people are going to start cruising around because they're like, I can take my work with me. But you can take your work with you all the time, especially if you're creating as a travel writer like you are. I mean, you, you can see everything as a potential thing to include in the story or something like that That it can drive you insane right so i would imagine it's it's for anybody i think it's good advice to just create a rule and what you're essentially doing is not that you're just shutting off your phone you're actually shutting off your work brain in a way yeah too right
1: and, and you're shutting off shutting off like honestly your your social circles outside of where you are which i think is important it's important to be like, I, I love my friends. I love my family, obviously, but occasionally I want to be in the new. I want to be making new connections. I want to be making new, firing new synapse, you know, connections in my brain. And that's hard to do if you're constantly looking back and checking to see what your friends are doing and everything else. Um, of course, the flip side of that is that it's great to be able to stay in touch and it helps, you know, when you're feeling lonely and other things. Um, So all these things are double-edged swords, obviously, but I do think in the, in the scenario we're talking about, yeah, it's, it's shutting off work. It's also shutting off the, the life you're temporarily leaving behind while you, while you experience something new.
0: Yeah, this is all old. I am. I used to have to go and pay at an internet cafe, and then sit down and get on some computer, and then create a group email. There were so many barriers to it, right? And just like you know. So anyway, just throwing it out there. Anybody listening, if if they you know need a barrier like that, and they want to just pay me if they use their phone instead, they can go ahead and. Go ahead and do it. No, I'm kidding. <laughs>
1: <laughs> or oh, you know what? The, the, the group email. Let's bring that back. I think that bring back where the group email. You know, you're you very selective
0: that? with you know who can I include in this. You exactly. tell the story. You give all the updates, and then bam, you're you're back in the internet cafe. What a couple weeks later or something. That's it. No, I yeah, I hadn't thought of it that way. In in terms of y- you think about the phone or, or technology as a way to keep in touch with everybody, but also, yes, you should exclude the sort of the friends group sometimes I feel like there is something I, I don't know if I'm idealizing this but you know on one of these walks let's say you, you find something and, and, and you, you discover a place just from a walk and then you have a meal there and you don't share it like nobody else is there it's just you it's almost sacred It is nowadays in a it way is.
1: yeah it is and like is that maybe, crazy <laughs> I don't think it's crazy I don't think it's crazy and I think I mean I'm saying this from a point of serious hypocrisy, because I feel like I do share the minutia of my travels because it's part of my job in a way, right? Um, my st- when I travel, I'm, I spend a lot of time on Instagram stories, for example, because it feels like it's part of my job at this point. But two things about that. One, this is like a little thing. If you are going to use social media when you're traveling, especially something like, let's say, TikTok or, or, social, or Instagram stories or, or something like that, you don't have to do it in real time. And I think that's something that people get confused, get get caught up in where they like see something cool, take the photo, stand on the side of the road, put in the caption, upload it to, to Instagram stories. You don't have to do that. One of the things that I kind of, and this might be obvious to, to like people younger than me, they're like, who's this millennial explaining social media to me? This guy's an idiot. But for me, it was a bit of a, 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 a revelation in that like, I used to be the person to like take the photo, stand on the side of the road, put it up immediately. It's Insta, right? It should be instant, Insta stories. But then 52 places, for example, I got into the habit of I would just like take cool cool shots throughout the day, whatever. And then at the end of the day, before bed, you know, I'd be sitting in my room or maybe I'd be having a, a beer or like at dinner. And I would just do it all then. Just like a little summary of my day, put it up. And that's a big difference because I could still be in the moment while I was there, just collecting the the assets, so to speak, for the, for all the hashtag content I was going to make. But um, but I didn't have to, you know, do it in the moment. I could do it a little bit after the fact. So so that's one thing. The second thing is what you were saying. I do think it is it is sacred to have these things that you don't share necessarily to the entire world on social media, and there is pressure to do that, but it is nice to resist that pressure every once in a while and be like, this is just for me. And you know what? It probably will come out at some point when you're with your friends hanging out and you'll be like, oh, this reminds me of this time that this happened. And instead of their reaction being like, oh yeah, I remember that. I remember seeing that on your Instagram. They'll be like, oh, you haven't told us that before. Like, tell me that's crazy, tell me that story. And then all of a sudden you're back in the old days when we really had to tell each other stories instead of keeping tabs on every detail of each other's lives. And that's kind of nice.
0: Yeah. It is. I was talking to somebody recently and they were describing that scenario and it was just starting to drive them crazy that when they would start to tell a story, their friends would already be like, oh yeah, I saw that, you know? And it's like, yeah. then they already had this preconceived notion of what the experience was. Mm. So you couldn't even, even when you were physically with them or this person, they were physically with them. You you couldn't just be there and tell a story because they already had an idea of what the story was.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, it's true. It's, it's, uh, I it, I don't know I don't know what the answer is, but it 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 is a problem I think because it's totally true. It happens to me all the time, where I say something and they're like, "Oh yeah, I remember seeing that," and it's like, "Yeah, but let me tell you the rest of the story." You saw like one photo of some crawfish <laughs> right. in New Orleans, but let me tell you what happened. Um, yeah, but yeah, it's hmm. tough. It's tough. It's a balancing act, like so much.
0: Well, one of the things you talked about earlier was not being an expert on the place and not presuming to be an expert and, and really getting to know the place from the people on the ground there. And I'm just wondering how you make those connections. How do you connect with locals in a way that gives you more of an authentic experience, I guess, as a traveler? I mean, that's, uh, that's always a word I kind of try to shy away from because what does that even mean? It's all subjective, but I, I feel like, you know, when you have those moments and, and you connect with somebody and and it's real and, and you experience something and it's a, a true exchange. It's not just you taking from them. It's it's like a, a true exchange. You just know what it is. You don't have to describe it, right? But but for those moments to be created, sometimes it's sometimes it's luck, like just walking down the street and being open. Sometimes it's it's a, a bit of an effort. I'm just wondering how you connect with the people of a place and what kind of advice you would give to people to to do that to better connect.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's hard because. It, like you said in the question, there isn't necessarily one way to do it, right? So much of it depends on serendipity and being at the right place at the right time, around the right people. Sometimes it can be, a like, like you said, an encounter on the street or at a bar or at a restaurant or a cafe or whatever. Sometimes it can be a friend of a friend of a friend who finds out you're going there and they say, oh, you should meet this other person. And suddenly you're meeting someone three degrees of separation um, and becoming super close friends over the course of a few days. Um, Sometimes it's you approaching someone, a stranger somewhere. Sometimes it's the opposite. So it really does vary. I think the one and like people might, might roll their eyes at this, this advice because it might feel a little like esoteric or something. But the one thing that, unites all of these, all, all the best interpersonal experiences that I've, I've had goes back to what we were talking about earlier about um, putting away whatever semblance of authority that I have or preconceived notions or what I think I know about a place and just going into it with like this, with an openness and an eagerness to learn and a curiosity about the world. Um, I've found that if you do that, like these things just happen quickly. Or maybe, maybe you just are more attuned to the opportunities as they present themselves. Maybe when the person approaches you and says, hi, where are you from? What are you doing here? Your first reaction isn't to, isn't one of distrust and to, to be like, oh, I don't want to talk to this. I don't, I don't want to talk to strangers. Maybe if you have that openness, your first reaction is to be like, oh, hi, like I'm such and such. Where are you from? Like, you know, and then you see where you see where it goes. Um again, I'm saying this from a position where I can take certain risks that I think would be harder if I was a woman or if I was an LGBTQ traveler, where historically they've you know, there's more danger associated with that, especially when you're dealing with strangers. But even then I think it's about like figuring out your own threshold for risk, what you're personally comfortable with, um, and then just going into it with it with 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 a big healthy dose of openness and optimism about humanity, um, more people in the world are good than are bad um, and it's it's uh, it pays to remember that when you're interacting with strangers and next thing you know, I think you're gonna find that you're making not just like interesting. Cross cultural connections, curious encounters, or whatever—you'll be making real friends um, that you that you think about often once you leave, and that you want to see again. Um, yeah, I mean, I wish I could give more concrete advice of like stand in such and such a way and use this as a pickup line, and soon you'll have friends. But it doesn't work that way, you know.
0: No, I mean, I totally agree. It's there's an energy to all of that that you're describing and yeah you, know, you used the word attuned and i think that was that kind of matched those two concepts to me right you're you're putting out some kind of energy that is uh, and i'm not trying to sound new agey here but i think i think it's true right it's a mindset but then it's a certain energy that you give off i, I that's how i feel and if you're having this open energy you people engage with you more but like you said maybe it's also that you're just more open to it. I'm. I'm not quite sure.
1: It's inherently you're taking a risk, and you have to. You have to. You have to come to terms with that. It's the same risks you take every any time you open yourself up, whether that's emotional or physical risk or whatever else. So once you once you come to terms with that, it's just about figuring out what what kind of risks you're comfortable with. Maybe you don't want to get into the car with the three old men who drive you into the woods in Georgia and get you super drunk, which is what i did, maybe you don't want to do that and that's totally understandable. um but maybe you do want to talk to you know the nice middle-aged woman in Denmark who's offering to take you around for a couple of days and maybe you do want to take her up on that. like it's just it's it's figuring out what you're comfortable with and and, and going from there. but i think anyone is capable of putting themselves out there enough to create some real Lasting connections um, with people that they might never have met if they hadn't put that mm. energy for lack of a better word out there.
0: yeah when you make decisions, whether it's deciding to take a quote unquote risk in that type of scenario or I mean just life decisions or whatever how much how much of it do you how much of it do you put on your practical sort of thinking mind versus whatever you want to call it intuition, gut, your spiritual self, whatever you want to call it, you know, how much, how does that work for you personally?
1: Probably like 10% the former and 90% the latter. Um, That's just who I am. I mean, I think it drives people like my partner crazy that I just have a lot of trouble thinking in, in like concrete plans and thinking through pros and cons and outweighing them and, you know, figuring out the right way to go about things in a very methodical way. It's just like, not how my noggin works. Um, I think I, I thrive much more on feeling on, uh, you know, being attuned to my instincts and things like that. Um, I, I love that. Was, and that, that's, I think, what might be surprising is like a trip like the 52 places trip actually made me more that way than the opposite. Cause of course it was logistically heavy. I had to, I took 88 flights in a year. Each of those, each of those flights had to be booked and rental cars and all that stuff. So it was very much like, you know, we had to plan things out, but so much went wrong. First of all, second of all, all my best moments were not things that I planned, but were completely serendipitous. Um, including the best encounters and like relationships that i formed that I think I came out of a trip like that even more convinced that sometimes you really just have to go with the flow and go with your gut, um, and hope that things get you to where you want to go. Uh, so I, I I think I, I am much more that kind of person. I'm not saying it's the right way. I, it gets me into trouble all the time. Um, I just that just happens to be my style. I think you can definitely be a more methodical person and still have incredible travel experiences. It's just not how uh, my brain works.
0: Can you share one of those serendipitous experiences that stands out to you?
1: Yeah, I mean, there's so many. Um, let's see one. One would be the one that I like to tell the most was was in Uzbekistan in uh, in Samarkand. Um, I got connected to this guy. Who, who he, was a, he was a tour guide as well um, in Samarkand, but he took me for the tour and we had a great time. You know, I paid him for his services. He was kind of like, like my fixer for the day and it was great. Got all the history of Samarkand in Uzbekistan, which is an incredible city. Um, and then the next day, he just like texts me out of the blue and he's essentially like, hey, this isn't like for for touring. Um, I'm not like I'm not charging you for anything, but there's something really special going on. If you are down to check it out, we can go. Um, just be ready. Just be, just be ready in the lobby at like 9:30 in the morning or something. He texted me the night before he was like, be be ready in the morning. And I was like, okay, this guy, I'm either going to be kidnapped and killed or something incredible is about to pop off. Um, and so I, I just, I went for it cause I felt some energy from him and I guess he felt enough coming from me that he, he wanted to take this, take, show me this thing. So I get into his car he's like kind of being coy about what we're going to do. Um, he had hinted at it a few times, but we drive a little bit outside of the city. We stop at some point and he's like, oh, I just need to pick up my dad. And I was like, okay, now he's really either. We're really going to something cool or he's really going to kill me. Um, and he goes, he picks up his dad. Who's this older man who gets into the back seat um, we drive for another 30 minutes and I get to this giant field outside of Samarkand, just filled with like, I don't know, a hundred people on horses. Um, and what, 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 and like a crowd of thousands from all the surrounding villages in this like natural amphitheater, just all yelling. And I quickly realized what this was is something that we had talked about the day before. Um, but he had been like very coy about whether it was happening right now and all this stuff. And it's a game called, Kopkari or Buskashi. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but it's basically they call it dead goat polo. So it's like uh a hundred people on horseback playing this game of keep away with a carcass of a dead goat. It's like an old nomadic sport. Um super intense, you know, people hitting each other on their horses, trying to take this goat away from each other. Um, but just like an incredible thing to witness as an outsider. I was the only foreigner there. People were so welcoming, including my friend Hershid, who took me. Um, and it was just this incredible serendipitous thing that happened because I don't know, I think I think it was part of it partially because I I wasn't treating despite me paying this guide the day before, we like finished the guided tour the day before and then I was like, let's go get dinner and hang out. Like because we just like, you know, there was like there was a connection. We got along so well. Um and I was treating him as more than, than like a employee, you know, as a, or as like a, as a, as a higher gun, so to speak. Um, and he decided like, yeah, he wants to show me this thing. That's a big part of his culture. Um, and it was just incredible. We spent the whole day there. We were like laughing on the drive back because we were just covered head to foot in dust from these horses hitting up dust. Sm- we both smelled like horses and dead goats, um, but it was just like an incredible experience um that I think happened because I was willing to to not stick to my plans I had to cancel a whole day of stuff that I had planned for that to to go to that event um and so it's just a good I think a good example of me you know reaping the rewards of going with the flow and and being open to serendipity and and taking a risk that I was comfortable taking you know
0: wow what an experience that it was it was incredible that sounds um, incredible. <laughs> yeah, that is, uh, and, and again, you just that's the, special. The, nice. the
1: kindness of strangers that you see along the way, like he took me right, and and we hung out for a while. Then we kind of lost each other in the crowds because he was like really intent on getting his own photographs, So he was like running into the field and dodging horses, and I was like, I'm not getting in front of any of these horses. Um, but this like 19 year old kid who didn't speak a word of English just like made it his day, his mission to just like watch out for me for the whole day. So he was like with me the entire day. And he'd like beckon me to like come closer because he knew how the horses would move and how the game flow would happen. So he'd like beckon me over to get close so I could get some photos. Then he'd like literally grab me by the shirt collar and like pull me out of the way when the horses would turn around and come running towards us. And at the end of the day, I was like, okay, this guy like became my guide, right? My fixer. Um, And so I offered him some money. And he like refused to take it, completely refused. He was like through our tran through some translation help. All he said was like, "Just come with more time next time, so you can come and meet my family in in my town in the town next door where I'm from." And it's just like it's just it's generosity and kindness that you just like can't explain. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's really amazing, and I think again that's an ex- that's something that I experienced because I was open to it in the first place.
0: Right. Such an honor and so heartwarming on so many levels just to be included in something like that that's yeah
1: but like think about it i mean there's so many instances and so many so many like there are travelers right who would have an experience like that and from the start of it would be thinking not like i'm excited to see what this surprise is and to like have this fun day with this new friend horshid and instead would be thinking how is this guy trying to screw me over what's he trying to get? Was he going to swindle me out of some money after this? Is he going to say, Oh no, no, it's free, free. And then at the end, he's going to make me pay some ridiculous amount of money. Think about it. How many travelers would go into it with that attitude? And how does that affect the way that you act with the world while you're there? And okay, let's say it had happened. Let's say it did finish. And he said, Oh, by the way, can you like, can we maybe, you know, help out with gas or something? And like, so what? Yeah. Pay, pay him $50. You had this incredible experience. Like, Why why do you make that the be all and end all of your experience? Why do you think everyone's out to get you? Um, And I see it all the time with with travelers, especially in certain parts of the world where you have this suspicious eye towards everyone when sometimes people genuinely just want to make a connection exchange stories and learn about the world. Just, just like you do. Right. All
0: right. Yes. I love, I love that. It's a, Sometimes I feel like that attitude comes from if you're on say the banana pancake trail or some, you know, or on the well-trodden path, let's say, and, and, and you just constantly having people come up to you and, and you're not, you don't get off the beaten path. Well, it's, it's not that you can't have those types of experiences on the beat on the beaten path. I totally think you can and have, but, uh, but maybe it can be a consequence of that. That's speculation. I don't know. You know, it's, it's hard to say. I think your overall point, though, is, is just a great one. It's A lot of this just comes back down to, to the mindset, right? The mindset that you are traveling with and maybe the energy or whatever you want to call it that that mindset gives off to the world. Would you love to have an incredible cup of coffee every day? I've tried it all. I've done the pour over. I've done the French press but I tasted an AeroPress coffee many years ago, and immediately I was sold. I had to get one. AeroPress is a patented three-in-one brew technology. This combines the flavor benefits of espresso, pour-over, and French press all into one compact portable device built for travel or home. I love things you can use in both places. This You get 20% off just for being a listener of this show at aeropress.com slash zero to travel. That's aeropress, A-E-R-O-P-R-E-S-S dot com slash zero to travel. That will save you 20% on checkout. Thanks to Aeropress for supporting today's show. on an incredible journey through Morocco together with me. Sign up over there at zero2travel to com slash trip to get all the details. Thanks for listening and hope to see you there. Yeah, I,
1: I mean, but even then, right? You're, let's say you're on the, let's say you're in Bali and you're getting annoyed by all the people coming up to you asking you if you want, you know, everything from uh, massage to magic mushrooms. Um, and you lose your temper and you say like, no, go away. Whatever. I mean, yeah, it's a tourist economy, and you're a tourist, and you're there. What do you expect? Like, what, what, what? I'm sorry, this isn't your perfect, you know, paradise that you <laughs> right. envisioned. Like, you right. are, you are the is, the customer here. Like, yes, this you're is, in
0: their home, <laughs> exactly, yeah.
1: and they're trying to make a living <laughs> off of you visiting. So, like, yeah, they're gonna ask you if you're interested in buying some magic mushrooms. Just get over, keep walking. Like, if you don't want it, it's not. It's not. We're sorry, this isn't like they're not there to make your entire experience friction-free, like frictionless and just incredible. Like understand that you are part of this economy and you are there as a consumer. Um, you really, you're going to lose your temper. Like what, where, where is that coming from? Anyway, that's just to say that I think, I think,
0: I think that comes from having certain expectations, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That things are
0: going to be a certain way. It's uh it's not Disney world. <laughs>
1: <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. This is real. It's a real world. It's real life with with functioning economies and and economies that grow around people like you. And you have to understand that you're a guest there and um, just just see how different your experience is if you let something like that ruin your day or if you don't and you, you know, make a joke and with the person offering you something and move on. And then your day is going to be much better. Your experience is going to be much better. And the energy that you're putting out there in terms of making new connections and meeting new people is probably going to be much more fruitful as well.
0: I was reading an article recently that was arguing that uh, like digital, the digital nomad community is ruining X, Y, and Z You know, destination. I think it was about Bali specifically this one, but it was an overall argument. And uh, you know, part of part of what was left out, I felt, was that they didn't talk at all about the the impact on the local population. Like some of that must be helping people locally, right? There must be some people that their lives have been boosted from tourist activity. This is a very complicated issue because I also agreed with some of the things that that she was saying but whose job is it to argue if a uh, culture's being distilled or not i think that's more of the <laughs> the country's job to decide something like that as opposed to somebody writing about it and coming in but i'm just wondering because of the rise of remote work and now that being accelerated with covid and everything you know this is going to be more there're going to be more people living in extended for extended periods in places so and maybe this falls a little bit into the over tourism bucket. I'm not quite sure. But what what are your thoughts on all, all this, just having been so many places and growing up all over the world? I'm just yeah. I, I there's no right answer here, but I just wanted to kind of hear your philosophy on where things are going and what that might mean and what we can do as maybe as travelers to to be good travelers, responsible. Yeah.
1: Yeah. No, it's a great question. It's it's an age-old question. It's like a it's a very complicated question that i think is also tied up with like you said things like over tourism um and i think i know what you're talking about there was there was a lot of conversation sparked recently around the digital nomad community and stuff because of some inc- incident in bali and someone who had overstayed their visa and was like bragging about it on twitter or something i don't i don't know the full story so i don't want to be quoted about it but uh i will say i mean i think there is Legitimate criticism to be had um, if you're talking about a place that people are moving to for no reason other than, let's say, a low cost of living, um, things like that. Because how sustainable is that low cost of living for people who live there as people move in and property prices go up? Are you are you pricing out people who have been there for generations? Um, are you, you know, changing the entire face of the place uh, infrastructure-wise that it's pushing out people from the centers of cities, which is all things that are happening both in over tourism and within the digital nomad community. Those are all big societal issues that need to be addressed by the traveler as a person who decides where their money goes. And I think it's important to be very conscious of that, but also, you know, these local governments, things like that have to be figuring out how do you protect the local populations. Um, So I do think there's legitimate, legitimate grievances. Um, Do I think no one should move to, to Bali because it's already so crowded with digital nomads and everything else? No, I think, like you said, I think there has, that the economy depends on it. Um, It's, probably not the place at least a lot of it is probably not the place that you're expecting when you like read eat pray love and and go to bali because of that um it's still a wonderful place um that is having problems with overtourism and traffic congestion and pollution and environmental degradation all the things that happen when too much happens in a place at once So those things need to be addressed. So all that's to say, like, that's a very roundabout non-committal answer um, to say that like the issues you're talking about are very real. I don't know what the answers are. I think it comes down to the traveler as well as governments um, making rules around sustainability. There are places where it's completely out of hand, right? Like there's until recently, so many people venetians haven't been able to live in venice because they've been priced out so much by over tourism um that shouldn't be that shouldn't be the case we shouldn't be doing that as tourists uh it's our responsibility to make sure that people who live there can keep living there where we're going um but i don't think so i mean it's not it's not black or white i mean it's it's such it's such a case-by-case basis in the case of Bali. I'd say that, yes, it has, it is having problems um, with the sheer number. And I'm sure there are people who are being priced out. I know there are people who are being priced out of communities that have become havens for digital nomads. And I think it's short-sighted to be one of those digital nomads and write a blog post about why everyone should move to Bali because it's so great and cheap and they've been able to live so cheaply here and only work three days a week um on their tech job that they can do remotely that that shows that that person has you know maybe some blind spots that they need to address that they're not thinking about their role and within that community that they're living in um they should maybe be a little more intentional and a little more conscious about how they're traveling but that doesn't mean you shouldn't pack up and move and find somewhere new to live and maybe engage with a new community i think uh it's like it's like the arguments around climate change and travel too right where it's there's no easy answer um does travel have an outsized carbon footprint absolutely and we need to do more about it we need to travel more intentionally and i'm saying this fully aware that i took 88 flights in 2019 and exceeded my carbon allowance by by quite a bit um should we stop travel altogether no way i mean think about what that what that would mean for all the forces of xenophobia and isolationism and nationalism that have been a, a, on the rise around the world, if we stopped traveling and interacting with different cultures, those would that's a victory for them, you know, for the people who want us to stay within our communities and not interact with the rest of the world and want us to be fearful of the rest of the world. So it's not, it's not either or in that case either. And in the case that you're mentioning, I think it's the same way, that there's a lot of gray area, there's a lot of case-by-case case basis. And I'd say just as a traveler... Just ask yourself. I mean, one, I think I'm going to be a lot more intentional with my travel going forward. I'm going to ask, one, whether I need to go on the trip at all. If I do, can I do it, you know, in the, like in by not flying? Um, is just something I can do in my own backyard this for this weekend instead of flying halfway around the world? Um, these are all things that I'm considering now more than ever. And have been doing a lot more of, obviously, while in lockdown, I've gotten really into like long distance cycling and hiking and all these things that I think a lot of people have gotten into. Um, And so I think as a traveler, it's about being more intentional and asking yourself those questions. As someone who's maybe looking to move, ask yourself the same questions. What what kind of community are you moving into? Is there buy-in from that community for people like you to show up? Or are you going to kick someone out of their home, out of their neighborhood? Um, How can you give back to that community that you're living in as a guest? How can you be a respectful guest and actually think of it as being a guest instead of like a hack where you found a cheap place to live and make a lot of money? Um, All those things, I think, are important questions to be asking yourself as a traveler or as a digital nomad um, or as anyone interacting with a culture or a place that isn't your own.
0: I wanted to ask you some destination questions. We're gonna have to have you back on if if I, I'm already inviting you back on if we can do that at some point. I I hope we can do it in person over a beer. But so I was trying to think of a fun way to to tackle some destinations. So I came up with this uh, little segment. I'm calling five faves. Don't worry, I'm not gonna ask you what your favorite country is or anything like that. It's a lame and unfair. But I am gonna ask you a few of your favorites, and and obviously they don't have to be your number one favorites. You know, this is all. Again, subjective, but just to hear some stories and, and get some destination highlights from you. So the first one I ask you is, what has been one of your favorite unexpected surprise destinations? Kind of one of those places where you you went, not kind of expecting much. just like, oh, this is going to be a thing. I'm just going to... And then you were like, it doesn't have to be on your... It can be on any your travels, you know? And then you were just like, holy crap. This is like, this is crazy. I'm totally blown away. <laughs> um,
1: I think one of them... One that comes to mind immediately, and there's many, was was probably the the town of Plovdiv in Bulgaria. Um I it was one of the fifty-two places. I didn't know much about it. When I've heard about Bulgaria, I've heard about it in the context of um Sofia. And so I I was like, Okay, this will be fun, you know, have some experience some Eastern Europe and have a good time. But I like completely fell in love with that city. Um, to the point where like one, it was like it was probably about this time. No, it was probably a little later in the year. Um, but it was springtime, and like birds everywhere were chirping. It's just like the most charming town. Um, there's like a whole. There's like a, a, a Roman amphitheater and these old kind of Ottoman-style buildings going up this hill. Um, they call it the other the other city of seven hills. You know, the main one being Rome because there's seven Rome's in the, seven hills within the city limits. So you can go on like a, a hike through the middle of the woods because some of the hills are just like national or, you know, uh, preservation areas. So you can just go for a hike in the middle of town um, in the middle of the day, real quick up one of the hills. You get the beautiful view of the town. There's like a really cool bar district. It's just like a really fun happening city. A lot of young people, people were so friendly and so psyched that I was there writing about it, um, that I found it very welcoming. It was one of the first places that year when I was traveling a lot where within a few days I was walking around and I was like, yeah, I could live here. I could like rent out that apartment up there and just like write all day and, uh, you know, meet up with my friends in the evenings, go for a hike in the weekends. Like it was, it it was, it's a really special little town.
0: Can you spell the name of the town again? So I can get that right. Yeah,
1: Plovdiv. So it's P-L-O-V-D-I-V.
0: Very cool. sounds super charming. what is a place and in some ways this is a favorite then I would imagine a place that you want to go back to the most right now in this moment in time like if you could blink your eyes today and there's you know nothing none of the stuff that's going on in the world is going on and you can just get teleported and hang out and be there Um, I know this could change tomorrow yeah it's gonna change tomorrow I think like right now (laughs)
1: first place that popped into my head was Dakar, Senegal. Um, maybe it's because I've like been, maybe it's honestly because I spent two, just spent two or three months in new Orleans. And I do think there's some parallels between the two cities. Um, but just the music that goes, comes out like just radiating from everywhere. There's just like this, this life within the city and like the packed markets and, and, the way that people act and there's just kind of like a jubilance in that city um, that I really fell in love with. And uh, I think it's probably what I crave most after being in, you know, COVID semi-isolation for a year is that just, I just want to be surrounded by strangers blaring music and singing and dancing and um, hanging out on the beach and just all the things that I did in Dakar outdoors and around tons of people. That's what I want right now.
0: That sounds heavenly right now. Uh, This is a sidebar question. What can you learn about a place through music that you can't learn any other way?
1: I mean, I think, I think it along with maybe food, I think music is exposes the soul of a place. Um, I think it is a portal into just a deeper understanding um, of a place's soul, a place's vibe—like it's—it's it's hard to put into words. I think once you start hearing the music that comes out of it, you get you get a sense of history, you get a sense of culture and identity, and you know the 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 way that history plays a role in in whatever place you're in, and how different cultural influences collided and created something new. And it's just like all of these different elements that come together, and you're like, oh, I get this city in a new way because I've heard what it sounds like, Um, at least for me. And and some of that's because I I have a musical background. I used to be a musician, touring musician and stuff like that. So I definitely have like an ear that's open to that at all times. Um, But I I think it's like a way to a city's heart is, especially when we're talking about urban areas, cities is like, once you get a feel for, okay, this is what plays at the local bars, or this is what what I'm hearing out of car stereos stuck in traffic, it just, it, it shows it the whole place in a, in a new light, you know? Um, I, it's, it's what I seek out most, um, even more than food, I think. I think it's music. It's
0: an auditory journey in, a, in and of itself, right? But it's yeah. all connected. I mean, I, I, mean,
1: I, I mean, as cliche as it was, like, driving around Western Norway, listening to, like, Norwegian death metal on like a gray day, <laughs> like just driving down these like winding roads through fjords. And there's yeah. this like epic metal playing in my rental car. Um, and it's like gray and raining. I mean, that, that's a visceral experience that just opens new understandings to a place the same way that like listening to Yusu Indor while walking Ooh. around Dakar does that. It's just, I mean, I'm sure there's like Norwegians probably rolling their eyes, listening to this being like, of course you went and listened to metal while in Norway, but it's true. It really, it's, you get it, you get it a little more, you know?
0: I guess I need to queue up some death metal uh, again. I got to give it a try. I couldn't, I couldn't hang with the the death metal too long. Okay. We don't
1: have to go full, full depth. There's a, there's a band called, uh, called Kvelertak who are from Stravanger. Do you know them? No. That's like party metal. And that that I listened to a ton when I was in Norway, and that it was it was really fun.
0: I'll look them up. Party metal that could I could get into that. Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Touring, working as a touring. Well, that's another topic. I mean, that touring <laughs> yeah. as a musician is a. That's a, I used to work as a tour manager for a band. It's a oh, it's a really? different way of traveling for sure. It's oh you absolutely. Don't, you don't get to see as much, <laughs> I would say. <laughs> no,
1: I mean I I have such vivid memories now of like, you know, realizing that I had like two hours we're in cologne and we're in some like rock venue outside of cologne and i have like two hours between soundtrack check and when we need to be back and i was like cool got into a taxi went to the cologne cathedral like walked around the cathedral got back into a taxi went back like that, that was that was my experience of a place it's a really wild wild way to travel and not quite as glamorous i think as most people think
0: Yeah, you can see how people get burnt down on it for sure. Uh, All right. Back to the favorites list here. I I got just a few more and then I won't keep you too much longer. Favorite piece of travel gear?
1: Yeah. um, I love my backpack. It's uh, from Peak Design. Do you know that company? They do a bunch of like travel specific stuff. Specifically, they do a lot of photography gear. Um, they have like an incredible travel tripod and a lot of like other little gadgets and straps that just make photography on the go very easy, but their backpack, um, they have one called the travel backpack. I think it's just called the travel backpack. It's big. It's like 40 liters, but that thing went through hell on my 52 places trip. And it looks like the day I got it. I don't understand what this thing is made out of. It's incredible. Um, and it also just like the amount that it fits. Cause I was traveling with like tons of camera gear in my back along with other stuff. Cause I was, you know, on the road for a year and it, it holds way more than it looks like it could hold, even though it is pretty big to begin with. Um, and so I got through a lot of airport security lines or like check-in counters where I was definitely like 15 pounds over the carry on limit, but because it was just like a backpack, they didn't even think to weigh it. So it was a great—it's a great way to get around uh, rules around uh, cabin cabin baggage rules. That—that's that's that was my biggest hack. Yeah, that avoid, and avoid those
0: um, baggage fees. That's
1: I'm a, I'm a broken broken record on this, but uh, merino wool everything. Merino wool is like a miracle fiber. When I travel, I'm wearing that stuff. Oh head man, to toe. I'm all about the merino wool. Oh hell yeah.
0: Dude, we live on we live on wool in Norway. Yeah, Seriously. that's true. just I never about wore so much wool in my life. <laughs> it's crazy how much wool is in the culture here. And then yeah, whatever. That's another. <laughs> I got a lot of wool stories. I won't I won't believe them. All right. <laughs> wow, um, no, that's not boring. Favorite, I want to hear favorite. Them. <laughs> we'll save them for the next one. All right. Yeah. Favorite meal. I know this is a pretty standard one, but uh, you know, food and travel. How do we we got to talk a little bit food here you know
1: yeah i mean i think i think it's a bowl of noodles pho bun bo hue mi quan take your pick some bowl of vietnamese noodles of some type hot noodles in mi quan's case it's like kind of lukewarm but generally hot noodles um in on a humid day on a plastic stool with a glass of beer with ice in it that that it's either that or a similar setup, but instead of the noodles, it's a plate of chili crab in a hawker center in Singapore. Say it's between those two things would be my favorite meals. And that's probably, that's probably my same answer for, for last meal too.
0: Nice. All right. Last one. Favorite thing about traveling or maybe favorite thing that travel has taught you, you choose um
1: i i I mean the answer to both are kind of related i'd say it's one is that the answer to your second question is it it, my favorite thing that travel has taught me is that people are by and large really awesome and i think it's easy when you're staying at home to be scared of others to fear others to to be depressed about the state of the world when you read the news it's usually not good news um and there is a lot of there's a lot of sadness and a lot of suffering and a lot of evil and a lot of bad things in the world but there's so much good and so much beauty and the people that i've met through my travels are 100% my favorite part of traveling when i think back to my trips i'll Sure there's like you know the fjords that I saw and the volcanoes and you know coral reefs all these beautiful things and and I treasure that too especially when I know how delicate it is and how much of it is um under threat right now in the natural world but the first things that come to my mind when I think back to my travels are of the people that I met and that's my favorite thing about travel when you make that connection you know and you're like clearly from two completely different worlds um and you're learning from each other and you're having a great time while you do it. That's my favorite part of traveling.
0: Beautiful. It's a good place to end. I I feel too. You want to just remind everybody where they can find you and would love to hear what you're up to. If any, anything you want to share here, just go for it.
1: (laughs) Yeah, no, I'm uh, working on some, some long-term projects. So stay tuned for that. Hopefully a book at some point and a few other pipe dreams that I've got cooking. Um, And then you can find me, um, on Twitter, uh, and Instagram, both, both of which are at Seb Modak, S-E-B-M-O-D-A-K, and, uh, check out my work at sebastianmodak.com. And I'll continue, I'll be continuing to contribute to pretty regularly to the New York Times and a few other publications. And I've also recently took on a part-time role as a editor at large at Lonely Planet. So keep an eye on Lonely Planet because hopefully we'll be doing some cool things in the months ahead online as well. So, uh, got my hands in a few different things, but cool. Keep in touch.
0: What a gift in hindsight, right? That 2019 spending that whole year on the road and then everything that happened after that. And now you have it all because you had to write and and capture it all. Yeah. It's probably even more like burned into your brain, right? Yeah, (laughs) no, it is.
1: It is. And I feel so incredibly fortunate to have had that year that I had, before this year that we all had right um i feel so lucky um and and it's it's it makes me excited for when we can be out there again for sure
0: definitely feel fortunate and lucky to have had you here today on the show and thanks for just taking the time to so generous to share your stories and perspectives and uh it was awesome to get to know you. So I hope we can stay in touch.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, uh, let's definitely stay in touch. I hope to get back to Norway sooner rather than later. The country is just so ridiculously beautiful. And I didn't spend any time in Oslo. So I'll need to, to come back for sure.
0: Yeah, man, you got to do it. Road trip. I'll queue yeah. up the death metal. Sounds good. <laughs> All right. Take care, Sebastian. Thanks. All right. Take care. There you have it, my chat with Sebastian Modak. Thank you, Sebastian, for stopping by, sharing your stories, your perspectives, and your experiences traveling around the world. What a conversation. I had a blast. Hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. And I am a lucky man getting to record this show for you. I love it. Here we go. We're almost eight years into this thing now, and I just absolutely love doing this podcast for you because of you, because you're listening. And I wanna just say a quick thank you once again to you for being here, whether this is your first time listening or maybe you've listened to 300 episodes. Either way, you're here. Thank you so much. And please get in touch. Love to hear from listeners, as I mentioned. I I like to always remind you not to be shy, make this a two-way conversation. So again, grab that link if you wanna leave a voice message wherever you're listening to this podcast easy to do you can just click that link and drop me a voicemail or send me an email jason at zero to travel.com let me know what kind of guests you want me to have on i've got some exciting interviews recorded and coming up for you so be sure to be subscribed to the feed and i want to give a quick shout out here because i had a few nice reviews come in recently and i just wanted to say thanks to to those people who took the time to do that of course that helps get the show out to the world which helps more people travel so if you want to pay it forward you can do your part that's one way to do it by leaving a review and this one came from journeys and reflections via apple podcasts an ocean of inspiration this wonderful podcast has been a source of inspiration for me ever since i started listening to it four to five years ago the positive energy flowing through it and the associated location indie community lifts up those of us stuck in undesirable nine-to-five jobs. Thanks to this, I have finally started a side hustle that I hope one day can free me up to do what I'm truly passionate about. Thank you, Ramen. Thank you very much for the kind review. And the community mentioned there is specifically geared towards people that want to start a side business while you're working a nine to five job so you can eventually transition out of that and you can go to locationindie.com if you want to learn more about specifically creating a location independent business so you can travel if you want to have your own thing and be an entrepreneur that is the community for that and i'm the co-founder of that community so thanks for the the mention there and got a couple other nice five-star reviews that uh, always feels great so thanks for the feedback and please as I mentioned, I can't emphasize it enough. I do make the show for you. So really, truly, let me know who I can bring on, what topics you want me to cover. I want to make the content that you want. Now, a couple housekeeping things here. I mentioned these are some personal updates, I guess, but they're kind of fun to share sometimes. i let you know what's going on in my life. We're still pretty quarantined here in Norway. I haven't been vaccinated yet because I haven't had the opportunity things are moving a little bit slowly here so we're mostly hanging around home and connecting with nature but <laughs> in a different way i suppose so we've got some neighborhood cats around here who you know they're 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 pretty sweet but i'm pretty sure they're monitoring the community facebook group here where i live i'm pretty sure there's some kind of cat logged in right now one of these cats has got a smartphone sitting up in a tree somewhere and is logged in. Because let me, let me tell you what happened here. I put a post out there to our community because these cats are using the sandboxes that my kids play in, the community sandboxes, for their litter box. Now, I understand, to them, this looks like a dream toilet, right? It's like, wow, look at all that sand, giant dam. just going to go right in there. But, you know, I don't really want my kids or any of the neighborhood kids playing with cat poop and cat pee. It's not good for you. So I put something up there saying, hey, maybe we can get some nets for these sandboxes. About 36 hours later, we're sitting there eating dinner. I look out onto the, the um, patio or the deck, my backyard behind my house, and see a cat come up. My wife's like, oh, look, there's a cat there, kids. Cat rolls over to my grill, proceeds to pee all over my grill. No, this doesn't have anything to do with travel. I'm just letting you know what's going on in my life. So anyway, chase the cat away. That's why I think these cats are, are, are kind of doing an NSA move. They're just monitoring our stuff here in the community. They must have known I was trying to thwart them in their efforts to use our sandboxes as a toilet. So that happened in the back. And then on the front, we've got a seagull nest right on top of our roof, which is... And beautiful and cute and there's going to be seagull babies and everything until we read about it and realized that that's a total nightmare apparently <laughs> because they are up squawking all hours of the night they poop everywhere and they are also going to attack my kids and all of the kids once the babies come because they get very aggressive so battling nature on two fronts there it's a two-front war i am losing we've appealed to the good senses of the local commune here to move the nest safely so we're we're working on it don't you worry don't you worry we're working on it i know you're extremely worried right now so i wanted to calm you (laughs) kidding of course okay i do have a thoughtful insightful quote to read to you before i let you go that i read the other day it's not coming from the quote drawer actually but it is something that uh just was a good reminder for me and before I do that, I want to remind you, if you want to support the podcast, go to zero slash premium, and you can sign up for the premium podcast feed, you get an ad free feed, you get bonus episodes each month, you get access to never before heard or released content, and the archives and so much more, you can read all about it, zero to slash premium. If you like the show and you want to support it, this is not just supporting the show, but you get something awesome in return would love to have you as a member over at premium passports. So sign on up and join the party. Now, here is another quote I got <laughs> before I shared the the thoughtful one. Oh, this was thoughtful too. I mentioned at the top of the show that I decided to start writing down some of the things my kids were saying and my wife was saying because they are funny and I thought, "Oh, maybe I can just like take all these things and turn them into a funny song or I don't know, do something with them. And I just started this today. I already got some gold. And I thought, well, hey, maybe I'll share this on a podcast too so you can have a laugh at my expense. So here's what my wife said to me word for word this morning in the kitchen after I once again, I I, I can't control the water, I guess. I'm I'm not good at managing the water. When I turn on the kitchen sink, the water kind of gets everywhere and apparently I drip it all over. I don't know. I'm learning. I'm learning here. Anyway, she said, quote, you're like having a third baby and a dog at the same time. (laughs) End quote. (laughs) So a little bit of uh, insight into the domestic bliss happening here. (laughs) Now I'll leave you with this last quote from Norman Cousins that I read yesterday, in fact. He said, Death is not the greatest loss in life. The greatest loss is what dies inside us while we live. There you have it. Don't, don't let anything die inside of you while you live. I'll leave you with those light parting words and wish you a wonderful day, evening, night, wherever you are, whenever you're listening to this. Thank you so much. And we will chat soon. Peace and love.